For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Christmas is a wonderful time, isn't it? I mean, it's great because uh, you get to give presents, you get to receive presents. But I think um, as you get older, especially, even more you realize Christmas is wonderful because you get to spend time with people you love. And uh, I think life is like that. Stuff is fine. There's nothing wrong with having things that are cool. But as we get further along in life, we think, wow, it's about relationships. It's about being with family. It's about being with friends. And it's about our relationship with God. And as Michael introduced for us, we want to talk about our relationship with God, where it is today, and where we think God is taking us, and that's individually and corporately in 2018. And so we're going to talk about those eight things that Casey and Shannon just read for us, those eight qualities, those characteristics that will help our relationship with God to grow in 2018. And we start off with faith. Faith. Now, faith is one of those words that um, we need to define a little bit, and uh, we're going to use two words to help us define a word, which is kind of odd, but I'm going to talk about faith from two parts. Um, first, I want to talk about kind of a mental aspect or our mind. Can you guys see that okay? Is that better? All right. So mind, the mind part of it. And the thing about the Bible, when it talks about the mind, it's talking about not just our intellect. It's talking about kind of the seed of our emotions too, our heart and our mind. And it's hard to totally understand all of what that means. But, but we want to get the idea here that this is a, a decision. All right. Faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. The Bible's idea of faith is this. It's something that is true that you can put your trust in. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith shows, that the reality, or faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So faith is a choice. It's saying, yes, I'm going to trust in that, even though my tangible self can't get a, a head, its head around it. It's not something we touch with our tangible five senses, if you will. But that doesn't mean it's not true. In fact, it's very, very, very real. So here's what's really cool about it. It's a choice that we make. It's a mental exercise, believing something that we know is true because we just know that it's true. And what's good about faith is as we put our trust in God, God continues to increase that trust. So it works when you trust in God, he gives you more faith to trust him more. So you can trust and keep trusting. It's just a, re a really cool thing. So that's the first part of it. It's a mental thing, all right? But faith is also action. It's not just a mental exercise. Faith has to be put into practice. It's proof that you believe. In James chapter 2, it says this. Some people say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith by, or show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not faith alone. You guys have heard that old saying, right? Actions speak louder than words. We understand that. It makes sense to us. 
So let me use uh, this chair as an illustration. So here's a chair, and I can say, yes, I believe that chair will hold me. I have faith that if I sit on this chair or if I stand on this chair, it's going to hold me. Now, what if that chair somehow is miraculously spanning a 1,000-foot gap? And if it doesn't hold me, I'm going to just fall through and die, okay? Does that change <laughs> what, what my thoughts are? Hopefully not. Hopefully I still have that same trust. So in your brain, imagine that that's what's happening here. And then I say, yes, I have total faith that that chair will hold me. Now, after having said that, I need to do one of two things. Either I need to say, I'm, I'm just going to say that, but I'm not actually going to do anything. But you're just going to have to believe me, all right? Or I can say, yes, I trust that this chair is going to hold me and I'm going to stand on it to prove it. So if you don't have action that goes with this thing that you say you believe, in the book of James it says it's not real, it's dead. So the first thing, this foundational part, is that we have to have faith in God. And it's not just a faith that intellectually says yes, it's a faith that is active. And it's foundational to everything that comes after it. So first, ask God, would you please help me to increase my faith in 2018? And Cindy and Dave and Jordan are going to come, and they're going to talk to us more about those other qualities that we've looked at, and they're going to help us see how God is going to continue to build us in 2018. Well, as we come out of this festive season of holiday gatherings and bountiful feasts, I'm sure that we've all studied our fair share of cookie platters. <laughs> How many times have you spotted the one on the tray, the one with the perfect icing, with the beautiful brown edges, and you raise the cookie to your mouth thinking, this is one good cookie. And then you spend the next 10 minutes trying to figure out how to dispose of the rest of the cookie because what was inside just didn't match its appearance. <laughs> To illustrate this uh, properly, I probably should have tainted a batch of these cookies with a whole handful of salt, but I got to tell you, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Because you see, I learned from my grandma through many, many dozens of flower-covered lessons that you should always put out the very best cookie that you're capable of. That a perfect-looking cookie is only as good as it tastes, and that it should look wonderful, yes, but, but that it's what's on the inside that flavors it. It's what measures its goodness. And I think, think the same thing that's true for cookies is true for us as Christians. Um, when we add goodness to faith, certainly it should manifest in good deeds. What we do should look good to the world around us. But the goodness described in Galatians as a fruit of the Spirit is much more than just moral behavior. It's much more than acting with kindness. That kind of goodness is excellence of character. It's striving to have a clean mind and a pure heart. It's making sure that our motives, what's behind our good deeds, are honoring to God and not bringing um, pride to ourselves. But there's this thing. See, in Mark 10, 18, it reminds us that no one is good except for God alone. And that poses a, or poses a problem. You see, bi biblical goodness has to combine our attempts to do good with God's character of being good. We can only achieve that goodness if we're letting the Holy Spirit stir that bowl from inside. We have to make sure that 
when the world spots you on a cookie tray and it takes a bite, because it will, that you taste as good as you look, that what's on the inside matches what's on the outside. The scripture preceding our memory verse, 2 Peter 1.3, tells us that this goodness can only be gained through God's power at work in our hearts. It says God's power has given us everything we need to lead a godly life. All of this has come to us through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And this verse leads us as well to the next block. That's knowledge. All of this has come to us through our knowledge of him. See, we have nothing of this goodness, nothing of this faith without knowing him. But this spiritual knowledge is much more than being able to list the characteristics of God. It's much more than being able to recite whole chapters of scripture. I mean, some of the people who've studied the Bible the hardest are the ones who would argue the hardest against it. Memorization on its own isn't knowledge. Knowledge as the Bible defines it implies relationship. And Proverbs 1, 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is, honoring and respecting God is how we begin to know him. And faith involves knowledge. The more I know God, the deeper I am in relationship with him, the stronger the faith that I put in the plan that he has for me. Well, there's a second kind of knowledge as well. Let's call it physical knowledge. It's the, what we know about the world around us. It's the kind of knowledge that resides in books and in journals and heaven help us on the internet. It, it's the kind of knowledge that our culture puts so much weight on. It's, it's how fast can our kids learn their alphabet? Um, how fast can they recite their math facts? How many consecutive games of trivia crack can we win? God made us purposefully with brains and with curiosity, and he plopped us right here in this world full of his magnificent creativity. I just can't believe that he doesn't mean for us not to thirst for knowledge of what he's put around us. Um, Romans 1, 19 and 20 puts it this way. What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You see, God wants us to know him through his creation. Like many of you have or will, I spent a good chunk of my adult life pursuing post-secondary education, a large part of that on this thing called a dissertation. And what I learned from that experience is this. No matter what people call it, a dissertation is nothing more than gleaning some bit of knowledge, explaining some piece of minutia, some line of philosophy, some tiny detail of life's workings that has never been explained by anyone before, except God. <laughs> And that is humbling, or at least it should be. 1 Corinthians 8.1 reminds us that knowledge puffs up, but that love builds up. You see, pursuing knowledge for its own sake without first seeking God brings the risk of pride, something that sadly I saw pop up way too often in the world of science. But knowledge gains in the context of the love that God has for us, knowledge gained with the clarity that anything I can ever hope to understand pales in comparison with what God already knows. No matter how small that morsel, this knowledge should let us add to our faith and should make us say, yes, God, I know you and you are good. How often have you eaten more than we need to just because it tastes good? Or buy something you don't know existed 
until you saw it in the store and thought, I really need that. And then you bought it with money you really didn't have. Or at the office Christmas party, having a great time until the next morning, you don't quite remember how you got home. Webster's Dictionary defines self-control as the restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. The world is constantly tempting us to eat beyond our need for food, to buy new things when, to replace the things that still work, to do things in excess that we know are not in our best interest. And often we can't, and often when we can't, we become depressed and seek them all the more. Or it's our emotions that control our lives, whether outwardly or inwardly. Anger, resentment, self-pity, bitterness, envy, or unforgiveness. It's part of our human condition to be tempted. It started in the Garden, with a, uh, garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the apple. And it continues through scripture with Cain and Abel, David on the rooftop, and the prodigal son. The Gospels tell us how Jesus was tempted after his time in the desert or in the garden after the Last Supper. The word self-control seems to stress self, me. The Greek word agrotaria means status, power by which I can control myself, others, in all situations, rather than let myself be controlled. The word self-control lets me be free and independent. I am in control. And the more I show restraint and self-control, the godlier I become. And perhaps because of this, the word self-control is used less than ten times in Scripture and not at all in the Gospels. And when it is used, it is evident that the biblical meaning is something different. Self-control is not by me or for me. Romans 7 makes it clear that we, cannot, we can only be controlled by our sinful nature, by sin, or the Holy Spirit. So the aim of self-control for a Christian is different. The aim is not to better ourselves for our own sake but to be what God wants us to be. Paul talks about self-control when he talks about strict training or self-discipline as described in 1 Corinthians 9. Without God, we are out of control. Remember some of the examples I started out with this morning. It talks about how we get out of control. Our bodies and the things it desires becomes our God. But we need to choose. What controls us, ourselves or our God? So where are you struggling with self-control? What is controlling your life? What makes you, what takes away the joy of salvation? It can be quite a struggle. So how do we overcome it? Remember who you belong to. Let God control your life. Self-control really is God control. Admit you need him. Pray, Lord, let me give up control of myself and live for you. Perseverance. As many of you know, I was stationed up in the UP of Michigan for three winters. 
that's how they kept track of time up there, winters. And there's a road rally event up there called Press On Regardless. It was a cross-country endurance type event which tested driver and car to complete the race. And if you've ever been up in the UP, you know how rugged and tough the driving can be and the challenge it is to get anywhere, especially in the winter. Our time on Earth can be just like that, full of challenges, obstacles, and rough roads. Your company is bought out and your job has just been moved out of state. Now you're out of work with two small children and a mortgage. You find out your wife and your mother, the mother of your children, has just come down with a life-altering, potentially life-threatening disease. Or maybe you just succumbed to the Hollywood version of what life should be like, and your life doesn't measure up. These are just some examples of the storms of life that some of us face. The giants we must face, however long our lifeline may be. But it's not the actual giants that should define us, but how we face these giants. Is our focus on what's in front of us or what's on the other side? Often this can be a matter of perspective. How often do we face situations that seem insurmountable in the moment? only to look back on them later and think overall they weren't that bad. It's perspective. Francis Chan has a great illustration about keeping things in perspective and in doing so pointing out that our focus in this life should be, should be to persevere to get to the next one. In this illustration, Chan uses a long length of white rope that stretches across the stage. And the and the last, the first four or five inches is painted red. The white represents eternity and the red represents our time on earth in relationship to eternity. His point or challenge to us is where do we focus our time and energy? On the first four or five inches? Our earthly life? Or on the feet and on feet of white rope that represents eternity? We need to keep our focus on what it takes to get to our eternal life that we desire, rather than the giants we face in our earthly life. The story of Joseph in the book of Genesis is an excellent example of perseverance. We read about the many challenges or giants he faced in life, thrown into a pit, only to survive that, to be sold into slavery, and eventually to become the master right-hand man. Then to be cast into prison after falsely being accused, to eventually becoming the king's uh, favorite, and the second most powerful man in the kingdom. Joseph persevered each time life threw him down or placed giants or storms in his path. He was able to do so because he was not alone. Each time we read, but the Lord was with him. Each time Joseph goes through these challenges because he recognized and realized that God was with him throughout. And the result is, he persevered. We are not alone in our battle with our earthly giants. Our strength, the source of our ability to persevere, is in God. The task ahead of you is never as great as the power behind you. Paul tells us in, in Ephesians 6.10, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power.
So we add to our faith godliness. We often misunderstand what this word really means, godliness. Uh, we, think, we, we immediately think of goodness or, or acting good, being good. The word godliness actually means uh, piety toward God or devotion, devotion to God. And what does this uh, devotion look like? Does God not deserve this devotion? Does God not deserve our devotion? The amazing things that he has done, right? Uh, you know, the, the love of God it, the, it is, is unbelievable because we look at the power of God. We look at how mighty God is. And when we think of the word godliness, we, we look to the word reverence. And we have reverence to this powerful God who acts in judgment who, who, has, who has wrath throughout the Bible. We see God's wrath. But unlike any other religion, we have a God who adjusts to us. God showed his ultimate devotion to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't we adjust our lives to him? We, we often take the, the truth of the gospel uh, and, and, we, and we mold it to what we want it to be or what we like it to be. My discipleship group, we, we just walked through the book of 2 Corinthians and we're getting ready to journey through the book of Galatians and you see a lot in there. Paul is, is talking about false prophets and false teachings and, and how we often cling to uh, things of God that, that we uh, adjust to what we want them to be rather than us completely adjusting to God and his full gospel. To be, to be fully devoted to God is to be devoted to God in his fullness. To be devoted to God in, in, in the parts that we like, but also to be devoted to God in the parts that maybe don't go with exactly what I want to do right now or what I, what I want to be doing at this very moment. Full faith Full devotion leads to outward holiness, outward godliness. Michael and I were having this conversation this week uh, about the stage. You know, why, why do we have all this? Why all this uh, music, these lights, you know, why, why have all this? Because we have the greatest story. We have the greatest news ever to be told. And we need to grasp it in its fullness. We need to be devoted to the full story of the gospel. So we add to our godliness mutual affection. Mutual affection is one of these words that comes up and we're kind of like, that sounds a little weird. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't, I, don't like to, I don't like to think that way about the people around me. Uh, th this word mutual affection may be translated in your Bibles as brotherly love. And, and we see this come up often throughout Scripture. And, and it's, this, this is a great thing to follow godliness. I, I guess God probably had a plan about that right when he, when he decided the Scripture. Uh, it, this, is, this is something that's awesome to follow godliness. Because godliness, a, a respect, a reverence for God is followed by a respect for the people around us a respect for other Christians. See, you see, mutual affection is, is, is pointing directly to the way that we act, the way that we treat our brothers and our sisters in Christ. 
it, we, we need to show respect for other Christians. This, this summer we talked about compassion. Uh, we, had a, we had a series about compassion and, and our compassion, one of the first things that we need to do is, is to be compassionate for the Christians, for other Christians around us. Romans 12, 9 through 13 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is talking about brotherly love. This is talking about mutual affection. The respect that we should show toward other Christians. The respect that we should so show to our brothers and sisters. As I said, uh, we, we need to show compassion uh, to, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to other Christians. Why, why, would, uh, why would someone come to the church that has, hasn't been to the church, come here if we, if we can't even love each other? They, they see inside and they say, man, they need to treat each other better. I'm not going to go be a part of that uh, unless, unless they decide that they're going to treat each other better. So you are my brother. You are my sister. And we need, to, we need to be excited about that. We need to be thankful about that. Because we look to God, our Father, and we stand here, we sit here as brothers and sisters looking forward together to the truth that God is on the throne, to the truth that we get to be in heaven together as one family. This last word, love, is uh, <clears throat> that word that it's probably the most challenging to define in English when you look at it from a biblical perspective. And the reason for that is because there are multiple words for love in Greek. And Jordan pointed out one of them to us. It's mutual affection, which is the word phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, which is where we get the word brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. And so the idea is there are these various degrees of love. And when you translate what love really means from the Bible, and you only have one word for it in English, it's challenging. This word is a word that many of you have heard before. This is the word agape. This is the highest form of love. This is love that is self-sacrificing, love that is unconditional, Love that wants the best for the other person, even at your own expense. It's the love that God has shown for us. And to, to say yes to this love is, again, a choice. And so, once again, we have to use our mind. We have to decide to love. Now, this goes against what our society tells us, doesn't it? Love is, a, a, is this kind of mushy thing. It's this feeling, you know, this, this sense that you have. But love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. And it's an action. But true love enjoys the highest highs, but it also sustains the deepest lows. It's not about butterflies in your stomach, and it's not about some sort of awesome feeling that you have when you're with someone. Love 
is about caring. Again, about self-sacrificing so that someone else benefits. Love is my grandpa Harper with my grandmother Clara. You see, my grandmother was never in really great physical health at any point that I remember, but the last several years of her life were really hard. And my grandfather didn't walk away because it was no longer fun and it no longer felt so great. He leaned into it. And he took care of my grandmother day after day, hour after hour, minute by minute for years. Every need that she had. Why did he do that? Because he loved her. He decided this is not about how she makes me feel. This is about a commitment that I've made before God and before people to say, I will care for you until we are separated by death. That's what love is. See, love is a, is a decision, but again, it has to have action. If my grandfather said, yeah, I just, I love you, Clara, <clears throat> but I'm not going to do anything about taking care of your needs, <clears throat> that wouldn't be real love, would it? Love requires action. And it's very similar to faith in that way, right? It's beyond just something that's an intellectual exercise that has to be expressed in action. It's interesting that <clears throat> the Bible tells us, and Cindy referred to it earlier, <clears throat> about the fruit of the Spirit. And several of these things on this list here are also, some of them are listed in Galatians where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of the Spirit, if you will, is several things, nine of them. The first one is love. Evidence is action, as we looked at with faith. And the greatest evidence, as Jordan mentioned, is God's love for us when he gave his only son, Jesus. It wasn't just, I care about you, and I know you have this problem that you can't fix on your own. Sorry about that. It was, I love you so much that I'm going to give my only child to die so you can live. God's love was demonstrated for us. Romans 5.8 says, in this, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Demonstrated it through action. And in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate that sacrifice, that love, as we take communion together. But before we do, <clears throat> I want us to all read together. If you can read that there, starting in verse 8, would you read this with me and think about these things? We want to have these things as God gives us increasing amounts of them in 2018. So let's start at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to have that opportunity. We need to say, yes, God, would you please help me grow in each of these areas? If you want 2018 to be great, if you want it to be something more, then ask God to increase these. And maybe right now you're thinking, you know, 
In fact, let's all do this. Let's, let's look at one of these. God is going to make it obvious to each of us. Which is the one starting today that God says, I want to increase this the most right now. I want to work on this one. Whichever one it is, think about that. Allow God to say to you, yes, this is the one. And I'm going to help you starting today to grow in that. You see, there's something interesting that happens. We have this wonderful promise that we're going to be effective in our understanding. We'll be productive in our awareness and our knowledge of Jesus. And our life is going to be much more complete. But the next verse says this. Whoever does not have them, in other words, these qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. You see, as each of these increases our lives, our purpose, our, our, our reason for living, our confidence in God <clears throat> gets stronger. But what if one is missing? What if one of these is not there? Well, you know what's going to happen, right? It all comes tumbling down. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that you have been cleansed from past sins. Clear spiritual vision results in increasing faith and goodness and knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. See, Jesus said, I want you to remember. Don't forget. Don't forget my love for you. Don't forget my sacrifice for you. And when he started uh, this celebration that we take every week, that we receive every week, he said, remember what I've done for you. Remember who you are. A child of God who has been cleansed, who has been saved, and who has a solid foundation in him. So today we're going to take uh, communion at various stations, and there are four in the back. There are six here up front. And as we um, go there, would you continue to ask God to press into you that one word, of those that are, were up there. If you could go back to those, please. Thanks, Tom. Um, which one of these is the one that God is pressing into you right now? And after you receive communion, uh, at each station in the back and up here on, this, on the stage are little blocks and Sharpie markers. And we just want you to write that word the one that God is saying, this is the one. And just take it with you and take it home, put it in a place where it will be a reminder of the relationship that God wants to have with you and how he wants to increase your whatever it is in 2018. So if you are able, we would love for everyone to come who is a follower of Jesus to receive the Lord's Supper.
and then to write with a Sharpie uh, on that block. And if you're uh, not in that kind of a relationship yet, but you still want to come up and grab a block, please feel free to do that or go to the back and grab a block. If you're unable to get to that place, if you would just uh, raise your hand where you are and we have someone that will come and they will uh, bring you a block and a Sharpie and they'll also bring you communion so that you can celebrate what God has done and who he is and how he wants us to be in relationship with him individually and as a church in 2018. Let's pray. God, we know that um, all of these qualities you demonstrated perfectly. In fact, you demonstrate them perfectly every day. And you don't have to add anything to yours because they're already there. But what you have said is that you will give them to us. And you have an infinite supply of each of them. And so right now we remember that we have been cleansed, that we have been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of your love. God, we ask that you would help us to increase in our relationship with you so that people would see Jesus and not us. And you would be glorified. God, we give you honor and praise and thanks for all you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please go to the back or to the front and receive communion at this time. So now you have this building block in your hand. I love to build. I love to create things. And there's joy when it works out. And then sometimes there's pain when it falls apart. But when the scripture says to possess these things in increasing measure, we can have encouragement and be encouraged by his word. And we don't have to start with all of them, but just that one thing, you begin to build in 2018. We also encourage you that if you have not taken the commitment card that we passed out a couple weeks ago, and use that also as a commitment you can have in 2018 to be committed to prayer, to be committed to the vision, the mission of Discover, to be committed to giving, to serving, to loving your community. You can find those back at the Welcome Center on your way out and kind of just make that part of your 2018 commitment. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And before we do that, let's read um, verses 10 and 11 together. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is so clear. We thank you for that charge, those building blocks for 2018. And Father, whatever those things are, whatever that block we're starting with, Father, we pray that you just increase it as we go, as we go and we serve, as we go and we love our community, as we go and be the church 